go to thecognitiverampage.com. Feel free to contribute, donate, keep fueling the change, whatever it is that you guys can do to help continue to allow this to happen. None of this would happen without you and your love and your support and, of course, your contributions. Love you. Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. My book, The Cognitive Rampage, A Scientific Approach to Self-Discovery, Change, and Life Optimization, is now available on Amazon. What I do in the book is I fuse the latest research from the cognitive, behavioral, social, environmental, and biological sciences. It's not just motivational fluff and wordplay. Now, I do talk about my own story, so there's some kind of inspiration in there, but I'm not just spinning words and hyping you up with motivational fluff. Whether you need a life change, simply enjoy self-exploration and optimization, want to discover new hidden passions, or reduce the life-altering effects of toil, anxiety, depression, all of those issues, this book is for you. This book is not a cookie-cutter method of steps to follow. You'll customize the scientific framework with your own personal beliefs to build your authentic change. That way you assimilate it faster and quicker. It's not just copying my beliefs and telling you step one, step two. These will come from your beliefs is how you extend and build the foundation upon this framework. You'll use this framework throughout your whole life, through every change, and through every age. These are not empty words of motivational spin. This book is an experience. The Cognitive Rampage is based in science and is built from your beliefs. It's a path to help you unleash your desired change. You can apply this method on your own with no harmful side effects. You can simply go to Amazon.com, search The Cognitive Rampage, and you'll find the second edition there, uh, as well as the Kindle version. The audio book is going to be released sometime in June. Sometime in June, I will have the audio book of the second edition available as well. Microphone check, y'all. Sorry for the little music uh, intro. That's just how I get myself in flow, I guess. Definitely in flow. I feel it, right? Got excited watching that Stephen Kotler thing today. Probably going to zap out in flow state for a little bit. We'll see how much uh, Gracie girl over here bothers me or gets into, uh, I don't know, my laugh or something. (laughs) Barking and biting things. But this is the Cognitive Rampage, as you know. And, well, this is from the book series, part three. I've done uh, a couple of them, and uh, this will be the third part. I think I covered, I'm on chapter nine now, so if you bought the book, I hope you did. But if you bought the book, if not, that's why I'm doing these series. The reason I'm doing from the book series is for that. If you can't afford the book, you can't buy the book, etc., um, you can at least listen to these and, uh, <laughs> you can at least listen to these and, uh, Maybe get something out of it, right? So I try to, obviously it's not the full book, right? I try to give you the cliff notes, if you will, from my rampage, uh, somewhat. Uh, I sit down with the notes to try to come from them and I'm made for this one because it's kind of meticulous a little bit. So I, I try not to leave things out at least enough to give you some to where you can apply whatever, whatever it is I'm talking about. So episode 134 was my favorite. It's still my favorite episode. I think it was when I was most transparent and, um, 
me. I was authentic on the mic. So uh, you'd have to go back and listen to 134. And I kind of zoom through chapters one through seven really quickly. I cover the principles of change. Uh, I may reference those in this rampage. Um, I may re- even recap them before I get going. Uh, but I summed up a lot of chapter seven, but there's chapter three in there about competence creators, uh, basically pointing in the direction of all of the great minds that are out there doing it, that have come before me, et cetera, uh, and how I built transrational structure behavior theory, where it came from, the history, et cetera. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about the principles. Uh, I'll just recap them now. Fuck it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the first principle being the core beliefs or the concrete beliefs principle uh, that we have concrete beliefs, but essentially our core beliefs are what you believe about self, others, and the world. We will be using those tonight as I explain life philosophy or how you cultivate your life philosophy and begin to grow one and build one. So I will reference that uh, principle when we get going. Uh, but that's the first principle, the concrete beliefs, right? We have these concrete beliefs, things that we've experienced, which have downloaded to become beliefs that we believe, period, right? And I have to reference my roller coaster. You may know it by now, uh, but it's what I reference when I talk about truth or what we believe, right? So if you ride a roller coaster, you tell me it wasn't scary. I ride the same roller coaster, tell you it was. Who's telling the truth? Right. We've learned the truth has plasticity to the perception, to the person in the moment. And that experience is how we begin to concrete beliefs, right? So that's that first principle again, right? We have to be willing to question those. I cover those again, uh, pretty in depth on the part two, uh, which was RSA chapter eight. It's an in depth, in depth episode or in depth chapter. So I had to dedicate that whole episode 145, I think it is to all of RSA, but we will be using RSA in the beginning, right? Which is rational self analysis. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, the second principle of change is the B2B principle, essentially stating and pulling from all kinds of cognitive psychology of the idea that what you believe creates what you think, what you think, which we create, then manifests how we feel, how we feel then predicts our behavior. So the B2B principle is beliefs to behavior. So understanding that you just don't have a feeling, right? We create those feelings through thoughts that we have. We have thoughts that spawn somewhere uh, that I go in pretty in depth in the other two uh, from the book series, part one and part two, about how the beliefs get there, what they are, what they mean, et cetera, and how beliefs differ from thoughts, that thoughts are created and stem from our beliefs, right? So that second principle of change is the B2B principle. The third principle I will definitely be referencing tonight is the H equals C principle. Basically, humility equals competence. When we can be humble in what we believe, right? When we can be willing and humble enough to question our own beliefs, our own experiences, those concrete beliefs, and what we will be doing tonight, questioning those core beliefs, that's where you need to practice the humility, right? We don't become humble. It's a practice, right? Uh, One is not a humble person, right? Just saying that again, is uh, opposite what that means. So that's the three principles of change. The fourth principles of change we won't really talk about tonight. It won't be incorporated just as yet in the life philosophy chapter, uh, but that's the CCE. Essentially, competence equals competence. Confidence then equals enthusiasm, right? When we can apply that to things, people, places, activities, things that we do, but as well as to self. When we when we gain self-competence or awareness, we can be confident in that and thus be enthusiastic in ourselves uh, and growing and learning from there, right? But uh, those are the four principles of change. I tell you, I go way in depth in those on episode 134, part one, basically part one and part two of the From the Book series. And I'm recapping that for you. That second chapter, those are the principles. I jumped all the way to RSA, uh, basically principles of change of those first three chapters. And then there's the competence creators chapter, uh, as well as the opening chapter, uh, where I literally tell you my story and parts of it, really. 
uh, about how all these kind of link to my theory, how it came to be. But uh, anyway, I didn't share too much of that. I showed, shared my personal story for sure on episode 134. Uh, it, it meant a lot to me, and it was deep and revealing uh, and nerve-wracking. But uh, yeah, listen to those, and you can catch back up. So then I jumped essentially to chapter 8, which is rational self-analysis, the first of what I call tools of change. There are two tool, three tools total in the book of change, right? So we have our principles of change I just covered, and then the three tools of change. The first tool being rational self-analysis. This is the cognitive application. Uh, it talks about reframing, but it's about going deeper than that, right? We can reframe the thoughts to sound better, sure, but when you do deep belief extraction, when you have to go deeper inside of what the beliefs are and then ask yourself to be able to question those beliefs, we're literally asking ourselves and questioning our own experiences of the roller coaster. So that becomes much more difficult. Reframing is good. It works in the now, works in the positive for sure. Uh, but the idea is buried beneath those thoughts that we reframe may be an irrational negative concrete belief, right? Or negative core belief. So just to cover those beliefs again, you have what are called core beliefs. What you believe about self, others, and the world. Those three beliefs are basically the seeds to every belief after that, right? Then those beliefs from there spawn those thoughts, right? What we believe about nutrition, what we believe about our uh, relationship, what we believe about our past, right? So all of those beliefs, if you will, and the ones we choose to concrete and the ones that are open, they're difficult to question because they come from what we've experienced. So reframing sounds good, right? You hear people talking about the reframing. That's good, right? But let me tell you to reframe a traumatic moment in your past and tell me how much that helps, right? It'll help maybe in the now, a positive, I, I lean to that. It's a necessary, right? But belief extraction goes deeper. And RSA, that entire episode, is about belief extraction and how to do that from a cognitive and a psychological approach, how to tap into that. So we will start out the life philosophy talking about RSA a little bit, right? Because you have to apply RSA, and there are four steps to recap when we apply RSA. The first idea truly is step one of RSA application and to recap is pause, ask yourself, what do I believe about whatever? What do I believe about the person, the moment, the thing, whatever's happening, right? Uh, or intercomponents to change, which I cover later in the book, right? There are about 10 components of change uh, that link from a biological level all the way to movement uh, and new people, places, mentors, et cetera, right? So... We pause and simply ask ourselves, right? What do I believe about, boom. And then we write that down, right? I believe, I believe this about whatever that may be. The, again, the event, the moment, the component, et cetera, right? That's applying RSA. Step three is begin with RSA Q&As is what I call them. Basically, why do I believe? Answer that. Why do I believe that? Answer that. You have to go down deep, right? Repeat, repeat, repeat. And what you're looking for is when you annoy yourself generally, you'll say that same repeated irrational, negative, concrete belief, if there is one, doesn't mean there is one, but you may say that thing like, oh man, be, I, I believe that because people always do that, right? And I talk about determinate words. Always is one of those determinate words. Always, never, all the time, would, should, couldn't. Everyone, try, can't, uh, essentially future predictors of irrationality. I will never change, right? Well, we can't predict that, right? Or you always do that. That's 86,000 seconds in a day. Technically, they can't always do it, right? But those are words that awfulize it. So what we're looking for, if there is one, is to reveal that concrete belief. We want to know what it is. It could be negative, could be positive. That's subjective to the moment. But using RSAs, once we cultivate that sentence, right, we've applied RSA, the Q&As, we've got down and we revealed, well, I believe this about self, right? I believe this about others or the world. That one sentence now we have to reframe that sentence. We reframe that sentence. I go deeper into about how we reframe it, deeper in determinate words. That's RSA, the 
uh, part two from the book. And that'll help you what we're doing, right? So you'll reframe all that for step four. Step five, essentially, will relief sentence, right? This is your belief sentence. And with step five, I tell you to add the word remember at the beginning as you're reframing and restructuring the sentence to where as if you're leaving advice for yourself. So it'd be remember to, right? Remember, blah, 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 about other self, the world, the belief, the component, whatever. This becomes your belief statement. This belief statement for that last step five of our application is then to add that to your life philosophy. Okay. So as I walk you from that chapter, as I ended episode 145, what we had done was ask those questions about your core beliefs. I helped you apply RSA to what do you believe about the world, others, and self. I had you write that down, et cetera. We applied some reframing. I walked you through it, and we came up with what we believed at the time to be a rational statement that also shows optimism, right? This is that belief sentence we added remember at the beginning. So remember da, 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 about the belief. Well, if you cultivated that from the last episode and you did that work and you really dove into yourself, applied RSA to really find out what you believe, because really a lot of people don't really know what they believe about self, others in the world. And many people give you a monologue, right? Or some quote or some shit from somebody else. But what do you truly believe in one sentence, maybe two? See, the longer that philosophy or that sentence, belief sentence becomes, the more room we have to fuck with it, right? When life fucks with us. So the idea really is to shape that belief sentence to be very simplistic and very one sentence explanation of what you believe about. This, my friends, is the beginning to your life philosophy. Now we'll walk into chapter nine. You see, no man or woman steps into the same river twice. We are not the same person and it's not the same river. I like that aspect because truly we know the world is ever changing. We are changing at least until we die in that last transformation. But to think that we are just concreted people, well, then we're not fit for the world of which it operates, right? To be able to operate and move and grow in a world that is forever changing, we have to recognize our changing. And that quote to me kind of reminds me of that. The river doesn't flow the same. It moves and sways with the weather, just like we do, just like we change. See, as you walk through learning, change, learning how to change how you think, you do by changing what you think. What you think and how you think are separated. They're different. So by changing what you think in the beginning, you can begin to shape how you think. But before you move into changing your life, what you have to realize is ask yourself, how do I make decisions? How do I make the choices? You see, the fact that we're human, we tend to make the choice with the least resistance and generally the most immediate reward. We're human. That's what we do, right? Or maybe you make a pros and cons list, right? That's what I was always taught. Write it down. See what's up. Well, see, I'm not a fan of this list. I'm not a fan of any list making, really. But the fans of the pros, the pros and cons list, I only tell you this, that What's really good about looking what's behind door number one, door number two, looking at all the pretty glitzy stuff of the possibilities if we choose this or if we choose that. We only make choice different. Again, Malcolm Gladwell has a great speech or a great talk on TED about how too many choices limits our ability to make a wise choice. It becomes emotional, right? He does it with spaghetti sauce and a couple other things in the talk. It's worth watching. But the idea is that how do you make the choice, right? Now we know. But now we start to implement crystal ball thinking, don't we? Because we're going, well, if I make this choice, then this will happen. We start to act like we can prophesy what's going to happen. This creates anxiety. This makes the toil. This is what makes 
stuff different. And then like most humans, usually at the end, we just simply go, well, a path of least resistance, most immediate reward. And you can forget about calling somebody either, right? See, I talk in the book. <laughs> yeah, it's good to call the mentors, call the friends. But I can tell you this, you and I both know we call who the fuck we know is going to tell us what we want to hear anyway. You know, you're looking at the call list. Well, who do I need to call to talk about this? I know what they're going to tell me, and that's not what I want to do. So we end up just calling the person that's going to tell us what we want to hear anyway, or calling no one if that person's not going to tell us what we want to do. So the idea is really being able to make the choice ourselves, right? And the pros and cons list adds to the toil, adds to the anxiety. I've done a lot of talks and videos about the idea of toil, that a lot of anxiety, depression, sleepless nights, this comes from generally when we have to make a choice and we make many choices in life, right? So the idea is when we have to make that choice, we can't sleep, we can't eat, we can't operate. What do we do? This could happen or this could happen. You see, if you're making the choice for the moment, then more than likely you will decide against your truth. It was that time you did the one thing and that thing happened and you went, shit, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Well, see, you knew it when your truth told you, but you decided based on emotion, right? So the idea is how do we make decisions with more of our wisdom? Because you got a shitload of wisdom, don't you? You fucking earned it. Who do the friends call, right? When they need advice, they call you. So we have the wisdom. But all this emotion gets in the way. So when you make the pros and cons list, holy shit, look at all the potential emotional rewards that I could receive if I just, if this just, and then it'll be, right? This adds to the choice making. So again, how do you make choices in life? Follow your heart, many people say, right? What does that mean? I don't know if it's my head thinking or my heart driving it. And the problem is, is many times when we make the choice, we don't even know if the choice we made is good or bad, right? How many times have you made the bad choice, learned the best lesson in life from it, and many years later, you're like, shit, it was a terrible mistake, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that good choice you thought you made when you're going, man, I'm doing it right. I finally made the right choice. And a year or two later, you're like, shit, fuck that up, right? So how do we know the good and the bad later, right? I'll talk about how, well, most of those choices are good because we can learn, but we don't know, right? We don't want the path of least resistance. So is there a way, like I wrote in the opening of this, right? If I could show you a way to make choices in life easy, would you be interested? Of course you would. And I write in the book, well, maybe easy is not the right term because you still have to choose. At least show you a way to where you know the truth your truth, your experience of the roller coaster, what identifies with your life philosophy. Because when we can learn to make choices from a rational place, from our philosophy based on our truth and not emotion, we can limit anxiety, depression, toil, not to mention the biological effects that are happening to you, right? When you're stressed and trying to think, your epinephrine cortisol levels are raised, your body's freaking the fuck out, fight, flight, freeze, right? You don't know what to do. You can't make everyday choices, so you just order the food anyway, right? <laughs> we can't think. Just clouded with the emotion, right? So the idea is how do we cultivate or develop a way that we can cut through the emotions of the moment, of the choice, of the outcomes, and really make a choice from our philosophy, from our truth. Because when we can do that, we can avoid guilt, regret, and shame. More than likely, I know when I feel it, but you too, when you've made a choice, and it's been emotional, that one where you, ah, I knew it. You felt guilt, regret, and shame. You may still today. So it's about cutting through that. I mean, I told you earlier, you're the guy that, or the girl, that everyone calls for advice, right? You can help your friends. Shit, you know who they're calling. I'm the one helping. Well, why is that? 
You see, my first mentor, Leo, used to tell me many things, actually. He's quoted in the book like crazy. I uh, love you, Leo. I miss you. Wish we'd talk some more. But uh, he used to tell me, look, this isn't scientific, Adam, uh, and it's not, so don't quote me here, okay? But the idea that we become great advisors to our friends is based on a 70-30 split, right? When your friend comes to you and says, what do I do? You know immediately, right? Look, look, that's what you do. The first thing you need to do, we start laying it out for them, don't we? Well, because we're making a choice from our wisdom, that wisdom I talked about earlier that you've earned. All that shit you've been through is giving you that wisdom, right? So we can recall on that wisdom to deliver a non-emotional response that this friend just should do, right? That's why we help our friends. But when it's ours, when it's our issue, I'm going to use Leo's grandfather's quote, actually, which is a jingle he'd say a lot when I'd go, Leo, I can't figure it out. Well, with all things cool, calm, and benign, I'll solve anyone's problem unless it's mine. Because when it's ours, the wisdom and emotion flips. Now we become 30% wisdom, 70% emotion, right? Give or take who we're helping any other choice and obviously ourselves. So we get filled up with the fog of emotion. It clouds us up. How do we get to that wisdom? Again, do we make the pros and cons list? Future. Now you're looking at all the possibilities. Holy shit. Now you're adding emotions. This could happen if, this could happen if. Good luck sleeping tonight. How do we cut through it? See, that toil begins. But remember, you can also become addicted to the idea of the toil. Follow me on this one. How many people do you know that are forever in the middle of some shit? They got to call you because this is happening. That's happening. I have a life emergency. We're, we're, we call out the dogs. I'm calling all my friends. I don't know what to do here. See, this person, myself, I've been there, I guess, in life, I'm sure. Maybe you. The idea that, well, I have so many decisions to make, we create the self-importance and we weigh out and we make every choice we got to make so weighted as if it changes our world significantly, but just with one choice. So we have to be careful because negative rewards are still rewards. If we're getting attention, if we're getting feedback, if, well, hell, we're not sad for the moment when we get to make a choice about things, that can become addicting too, biologically, behaviorally, even make you feel socially connected. So you got to be aware of that, right? And I talked about the biological influence. That can become detrimental over time. They call it stress. They call it epinephrine. They call it cortisol. They call it worry. They call it anxiety. But we know it's a killer. Make the choice. Just choose. Because if you can choose, then you can prepare what to deal with, right? When you can just eliminate the toil. Make the fucking choice. But again, with so many possibilities of our choices, how do we know? How do we know what's right? Well, follow your heart. That sounds good. But I don't know if my head's thinking from my heart or my heart's thinking from my head. Right? The decision be so emotional 70% emotion that only at certain times and gets confused you know what the fuck to listen to right what is your life philosophy now don't tell me that quote you've been always using what's your life philosophy don't go flipping through pages or yes this one quote I like to live by this well see that can't be your life philosophy because well it didn't come from you it's not yours Hell, it might not even be rational. It may just sound good. I love saying that quote, right? Well, it sure sounds good. They say something nice. Well, yeah, it sounds good. I'd like to believe that, yeah. 
So you may have a quote. I know I had some. We have this quote that we love and we share every other week and we share to our friends. Hell, you may want it tattooed on your ribs, right? I would ask you to at least process for rationality amongst this quote, right? Do you know your life philosophy? Because I promise you, you're living it. Whether you think you are or not, you're living it. And all the choices you make every day, you are expressing what your philosophy is. Caring about others, especially where the philosophy stems from about what you believe about the core, right? Yourself, others, and the world. Those beliefs begin to define your philosophy and how you operate unless the choice presented could present some immediate rewards and is a path of least resistance. Well, then I'm willing to kind of walk on the edge of my philosophy for a minute and fuck, I know I shouldn't have done that. But see, if you don't know your life philosophy, there's a good chance you could be living what I call the fuck it philosophy. How many times in your life before you made that shitty decision that you went, oh, no, and you did it anyway, what are the first two words you generally tell yourself? Inside, and maybe your inside voice. There's inside voices, outside voices. Don't tell anybody you're hearing that. They might lock, lock you up. But it's why it's fuck it. And if you don't curse because that offends you, then, well, change your perception. Uh, but the idea, maybe you say freak it or forget it. Shut the front door. See, that fuck it philosophy sounds good. Live life like it's your last. Fuck it. That sounds good. Ten years fucking later. <laughs> well, shit. Right? That was like me the first like 25, 26 years of my life living like a crazy gangster trying to get shot. Like nobody will take me out, man. What the heck? Just living the fuck it philosophy, man. Almost killed me. 35 times, right? So if you don't know your philosophy, then how do you even know how you're making decisions? See how people can get lost in the emotional choices that are presented in front of us, choose on those emotions, not on their wisdom, go against what they believe, their truth, their experience of life, and then feel guilt, regret, and shame as life continues as they have to make more and more choices that impacts your life on every level, biological, social, mental, behavioral. As you make all of these choices on your life, are you doing emotionally? Are you looking behind door number one through eight going, oh my God, I don't know what to choose. Then we choose in the moment because we're fucking human and we make the emotional choice and perhaps Perhaps we've just been saying, fuck it. That's how I live, right? That's who I am. You know how the fuck I feel about saying who I am, right? You see, your philosophy changes. If you do have a philosophy, maybe you do, right? Maybe you have a thing that you live by. Is it umbrella? Does it cover every choice in life, if you will? Every decision, situation? Can you reference that philosophy for everything? I don't know. Maybe not. Is it rational? You see, we're not the same person that we were 10 years ago, let alone 10 minutes ago. If we are evolving and changing, then the idea our experiences, right, is where we concrete beliefs, is where we change beliefs, right? I used to be scared of the roller coaster. I rode it. Holy shit. I can make it. I'm fine. My beliefs change, right? In those moments, we can change. Isn't that crazy? The moment that we have a different moment, no process, but in a moment, we can just change. So if we're not the same person from 10 minutes ago that we were even 10 years ago or whenever that you'll be in 10 minutes from now, how can we keep the same philosophy and keep managing and making the choices thinking that we'll build some authentic self and some life where we'll find that enthusiastic state that we're looking for? You see, write your philosophy down, I like to say, and through the book, that's what I help you do. It's not me telling you here's the one-twos on how to live life and what you're supposed to do. 
here's a framework built in multiple levels of psychology, science, biology, behavior, research that I'm learning, and then answer them from your beliefs because generally the controller of what we do, what we think, what we say, where we go, what we buy, the things we do, the people around us, the people we pursue, this is based on what you believe. So if we can structure a framework for you to then apply your beliefs, excavate those beliefs, filter those beliefs to a rational state, applying psychology in the method, create new beliefs at a base, and build philosophies that we make decisions now in life from our beliefs, our truths, our philosophy. Well, it's about living without regret, right? Without shame. Feeling that we were honorable. If your choice depends on the moment, well, then you're open to violating your truth, right? That's what people say, right? How do you make choices? Your response may have been, well, it depends on the moment. It doesn't. It sounds like a card shark to me. It depends on the moment. What you're really saying is it depends on how much work I got to put in and uh, how much reward I receive. See, that's what we're saying. I'm willing to question my own philosophies and walk the line of my own personal truths if the reward you present to me is worth doing that. And sure, I may say, fuck, later, but hey, we'll have the thing, all right? I'll be able to say I did it. So you have to be careful if you're saying what depends on the moment because when we can make choices from our philosophy, then we can build character. Character is a choice. Talent is a gift, as my mom used to quote a lot. So again, how do we filter through the long nights of toil, reduce guilt, regret, shame, not think about it, Lord knows not write a pros and cons list? Well, we're going to build your life philosophy here. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get you started. See, in the other episode, remember, I got you started with what do you believe about the world, others, and self? We applied those steps of RSA. You revealed the belief sentence. You have remember this about self. Remember this about the world. Remember this about others. That's the beginning to your philosophy. Think of how many choices. If you'd have just known that philosophy in your past, you may have made a different choice. See, it's not about the pros and cons list, right? Again, when we can cultivate a philosophy and write it down, have us in front, have it in front of us, right? Being able to reference that. Then what I'm telling you to do is when you have it, when the choices are presented, You don't have to examine them. You simply look at what the choices are, consult your life philosophy, and I promise you the truth of your answer will be revealed. And if it's not, that's good, but I'll cover more later of why it's good if it doesn't answer it for you. That's why I asked you, is the philosophy you have currently umbrella-like? Does it cover every situation in life? And again, if it's a quote, it's not yours. So where we're going to start, right? We started with the core beliefs. Self, others, world. We've written that sentence. But step two of cultivating your life philosophy, the first part, remember, we've built the first three sentences that you've applied RSA, you've examined to be rational, right? You've excavated that belief. You've challenged that belief. You've questioned it and left yourself advice about self, others, and the world. The sentence may be two tops. We don't want it loose to where we can manipulate and use a little tyranny of words to change our own philosophy to fit what we want to happen, right? See, part two is about those quotes that you keep using, your mentor's quotes. Pull up that quote. I want you to look at it after this episode or when you're writing this down. And I want you to really dissect what it means, what it's saying. Is it a vague philosophical a philosophical quote left open to the interpretation of how you perceive it in the moment? Is that the beauty of it, that it's interchangeable? 
Well, see, it's hard to live with a philosophy that's interchangeable because now we're allowing emotion to leak into our choice because then we can manipulate the words of, well, a quote that's not even ours to fit whatever choice we're going to make. So fuck it, right? So take those quotes, even the one granddaddy passed down to you, the one mama's always been saying, right? I got a ton of those. You got those three sentences, but now I want you to write down all those quotes. See, in this part of the philosophy, you can include as many quotes as you want. There's no limit. There's a limit to those first three, a sentence or two tops. But here it's your mentors, right? Those sayings, those quotes you like. Write them all down. Write down 30 of them, 50 of them, five of them, one of them. Apply RSA to those. Again, reference back in the other book or even the beginning of this to what the steps are. Apply RSA to those. Break them down. Are they rational? Do they mean anything? Are they instructive? Are they directive? Are they optimistic? Are they negative? Pessimistic. As you start to write that out and apply RSA, then don't be afraid. Reframe it. Reframe the quote. Take the quote, cut it up, chop it up, add some words to it, remove all the determinant words out of it, reframe that thing, and guess what you just made is your quote. See, now what I call it's belief assimilation. When a quote, a thought, a philosophy stems from what you believe, we assimilate that quicker into our lives, into our thought process, into how we think, not just what we think, and we assimilate that quickly into our lives through our behavior. So when it's your quote, then maybe you want to tattoo it on your ribs. But I definitely suggest applying RSA to any tattooed quote you apply to your body. Just so you know you're not walking around with an irrational tattoo, huh? Mm. Ah, I hate that swallow sound. Forgive me if I do that. But the berries are just so good. I got to get my antioxidants in, right? Step three of building your life philosophy is completing your LP foundation, right? I call it your life philosophy foundation because it's just the foundation. It's going to grow, right? You're going to learn more things. You're going to add things. But in step three, as you visit later in the book, you're going to apply it to those 10 components of change, nutrition, movement, people, places, things, lifestyle, environments, et cetera, right? Well, I'll end up doing it from the parts from the book series on those. But step three would be completing that foundation, which you'll do throughout the book. And step four to keep continuing is to test, revise, and grow your LP. How do we do that, right? How do we test, grow, and revise our LP? It's so difficult. No, really. Next time you have to make a choice, use your life philosophy. It's rough. Now, if your life philosophy doesn't cover the moment, well, that's good, right? I told you I'd tell you why it's good if you don't have a response to an LP later. is because now you can consult mentors. You can ask questions, right? Or you can just make the choice, get your outcome, then based on your experience, now you can concrete a belief, reframe that belief, apply it to your life philosophy. Now you have your own wisdom reminding you of what to do in that scenario should that arise again in life. See, it becomes fun. At the end of the book, you end up with like 15 sentences. Remember this, remember this, remember this. And you're literally looking at, shit, that's my philosophy. Test, test, test. Revise. And as you're learning those beliefs, getting those experiences, changing the philosophy, align them with those core beliefs. Keep referencing those first three. What do I believe about others, the world and self? Is it rational, positive, subjectively, but rational? If you've been writing it to date, if you've been writing your three core beliefs, and maybe you wrote down some of your quotes later, when you're done, stop for a minute and seriously just recite, recite it. Recite your philosophy of what you have today. Just read that out loud. Sound like good advice? It's yours. That's that wisdom, right? That's how we pull from that wisdom. 
We get competent through experiences. When we can create new experiences by making choices from a different place, we can then concrete new beliefs to those experiences. The same way the current concrete beliefs got there. Why not replace them the same way they got there, right? We've earned those beliefs about world, others, self, nutrition, movement, people, places, things, lifestyle, all of that. We've learned from our experiences. We've concreted beliefs which have tapped down to shape the narrative we love to tell about the world, others, and self. But with new experiences, we can change it. We can add to our life philosophy, use it to make big choices, small choices. It doesn't matter. Should I eat that sandwich or should I eat that candy bar? What's my life philosophy say about nutrition? Remember, food is fuel. That's my own secret. Secret to the book, by the way. My philosophy actually at the time is hidden in those pages. Any sentence that you can find in there that begins with the word remember, I'm basically putting my own philosophy in there, right? Just like yours would be. So use it to make small choices, big choices. Reference the philosophy because the idea is that first little voice usually that goes off, you know what to do. A or B, you know, do A. But, oh, it's so shiny. It could be so fun. That's when the emotions, right, they start creeping in on you. You're forgetting what you actually believe. But you have to also be aware that our philosophy will change over time, right? It morphs. It moves. It's not this set in stone. It is not in stone. It is not the Ten Commandments. Because remember your philosophy at 15, at 25, at 35, at 55, it changes based on what we've experienced. Our ride of the roller coaster, we've allowed to manipulate or move or morph our philosophy to be something new, right? So the philosophy becomes fun. We can reference that. We can look back at it. But I urge you, the life philosophy is not to be altered, edited, or revised in the middle of a heated moment. It's not there. That's when what you've concreted has been there to plow you through of what your truths are, what you believe. It's only to be revised or things are only to be removed from that philosophy when you're in a calm state. When it's relaxed, you can visit it, you can analyze it. Because if we leave our philosophy open again to the situation of emotion and vague enough, we can then manipulate and say, well, I don't really believe that anymore. This person hurt me, so I don't believe that anymore about others, right? That's not what it's open to. Our life philosophy is not Play-Doh. We can't morph it and move it, right? It's to be done in a calm state. But it changes. It grows. Like we do, right? You may be living in that fucking philosophy, and I'm not changing that for shit. And day to day, every time you pull into traffic, it reminds you why you like, fucking fuck them. But see, that's allowing those experiences to filter through your perception of possibly a negative core belief about others, maybe even the world. I reference it a lot. If everything you think stems from what you believe about others, the world, and self, and one or two or three of those are negative, what thoughts may automatically seem to appear in your mind when you're driving to work on Monday or home at 5 o'clock? Where are those thoughts coming from, right? They're coming from those inner beliefs, those personal beliefs. But when we make that choice, we can't leave it to be vulnerable to the emotions that come in our lives. We have to be able to decide from our truth in that moment, and not be open to it, right? We can't be weighing the deal out. And again, the philosophy is changing, so when you face new choices, again, the answer may not be there, right? You may say, man, I consulted my philosophy. It didn't reveal itself. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Well, see, that's the problem opportunity that life brings us, right? Make the choice. Do not toil. Make the choice. When you make the choice, 
Then you'll know. Take the variables, process those, RSA those, and create a new sentence, a new belief sentence to your philosophy and add it to it. You've gained competence. You've gained experience. You've made those choices. You talked to those people. You've been through that. Now let me add that to my philosophy. So if that presents itself again or one of your friends call because they need you, you can just reference that philosophy. You know, I used to tell people when I was treating uh, or doing private or even uh, in the clinics, I'd tell people, look, you can do this with a friend. It gets really fun, actually, right? A friend that maybe you're dealing with it, right? Um, a shout out out there to, uh, we'll just call you little A and you and your brother and what you're dealing with. You can try this, right? Help them develop this philosophy and write this out, right? Go through the whole thing so they have all this to remember to. And then I want you to have it written down in front of you. And when this friend calls you for advice, I don't know what to do, man. All you do is simply recite their philosophy to them and hang up the phone. They're going to call you back, text you. No, seriously, man, I really need to talk. Hell, text them the philosophy. But if they call back again, recite the philosophy again when you're done, hang up. Don't say anything else. Do that over time. Next time your friend starts to call you and he has to make a choice or she can't make a choice and they don't know what to do and they start to call you, well, they're going to read their own philosophy. And that's what you want them to do anyway, right, is choose from their truth, not just give them your wisdom and tell them what to do. Your experiences contain life nutrients of knowledge, but you must extract them. And when you can extract them, you can gain competence, self-competence. That leads to the self-confidence. But I get it, right? I've been there. What are we going to do in that heated situation, right? It's heated up. It's getting crazy. The emotions have taken over. My biological responses is there. Somebody's getting fucked up or I'm getting the hell out of here, right? Or I can't move. It's that intense situation. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull out my philosophy out of my back pocket, right? I'm going to read it. Nah, I, I got you. Nah, I got you. I know we can't reference that. But I write in the book. Leo gave me some more advice. But there's two things that when you're in that moment, when you can't really seem to recall your life philosophy, when the 70% emotion is taken over to 98% emotion and you're lost in the fucking woods and you're about to make an emotional choice, you don't know what to do, you can't do the philosophy, what do you do? I want you to pause and ask yourself for a minute, is this a top five? If I was dying in five days, is this a top five? Would I be this concerned? Would I be this worked up, this much trapped in toil? Would I allow it to consume me? Would I allow it to flow through me, as Leo would say? Is this choice so imperative that with five days left to live, would it be a top five in my life? And if it's not, why am I treating it as such? It's perspective. Bring you back in the moment, right? You can go from hanging out, isn't it amazing how you can be with someone you love, a relationship, a friend, nowhere to be, nowhere to go, hanging out with a matter of seconds. All of a sudden, some urgency has been built between the two of you, and no one can finish each other's sentence because everyone's interrupting everybody, telling them about why they're angry and why they're mad. And just a second ago, you were sitting around with nothing to do for like four fucking hours. And you're sitting around in this self-created urgency of the decision, right? Because really, when you're talking to someone, you're sharing top secret beliefs, man. You're like literally going, hey, man, here's my fucking top secret file. I'm telling you what I believe. And if somebody you care about doesn't like that, they're really telling you, no, nah, everything you be believe and you've been choosing based on is wrong. Then all of a sudden it gets heated. We're so trapped in the emotion. I can't pull out my philosophy. I is this a top five? Why the heck am I so worked up? If I was dying in five days, would this be a top five? 
I left you on the last podcast with the second tip when you're in that emotional state. In the book, I do remember, you got to be willing to get a little crazy, I say, to get a little sane, but then I got took shit for the word crazy. So you got to be willing to get a little wild to make a change. I reference how many of us live next to that neighbor we can't stand that's bitching at us, yelling at us for some reason. God knows why. And imagine you're walking home. You're almost back to your house or something from some walk. And there the neighbor is out front. And they're starting to talk and jabber and yell at you from a distance. You ain't even there yet. You can't even hear them. Typically, you're already on the borderline. This dude's about to go down. You can't take it anymore, right? Let me pull out my philosophy. Right, that's not going to happen, right? You're not going to do that. You're not going to phone a friend at the moment, right? So in the book, I, I talk about what if you're walking there and he's chatting. And all of a sudden, you just decide to sprint 100 freaking yards. 200 yards. Just sprint it. Well, guess who's far away from the issue, catching their breath on the walk back? And if he's still there doing it, sprint again. He may think you're crazy. And, and my, you know what? He may start sprinting with you. Maybe end up becoming friends. See, you can change your thoughts to change your feelings, but another way to attack those feelings that you don't want is by changing your behavior. You can just do a behavior and then affect those different feelings. But again, I will reference, you did have to think about sprinting down the street first. But you got to be willing, right, to get a little wild, right? So remember the top five. You have your philosophy being built. And to expand it, right, is you can add it for anything. Should I eat this? Should I eat this? Should I go here? Do I hang out with them? I don't know what to choose. Just take those two choices. Think about it. Make the choice. Get the competence. Add it to your philosophy. Now you'll be prepared. Maybe somewhere in the depths as you look at your core beliefs and it reminds you about what you believe about self, others, and the world, it will be enough to help you to make that choice. But remember, the toil is where you find the torture. In the toil is the torture. Make the choice and get the knowledge. Learn and grow from there. Process the top five to bring down that redlining urgency. It's self-created. It's not fucking real anyway. You don't have anywhere to be. A lion's not chasing you anymore, so chill the fuck out. Is it a top five? And the second tip that I was getting to, as I referenced you with the last podcast, is if the philosophy doesn't work, if the top five doesn't even work for you, because maybe it does feel like the end of the world for you, and you can't decide what choice to make. Well, I want you to think about the person that you love most unconditionally, the person that you would lay your life down for unquestionably. Came to you with this decision and said, I have A, I have B, what do I do? Whatever you would tell them, your very immediate response to them of what to do, that is the closest to your truth in the moment that you will ever get. And if you choose to ignore the own advice you would give that person you love most, that's your own emotional fucking fault. Choose that immediately. Whatever you would respond to them and tell that person you love most unconditionally, your children is what I use in the book because you're going to know what to do, right? Your kid asks you, you're not going to act like it, right? I don't know. Although I'd advise you to. I'd advise you to tell them when you don't know. Explore it with them. Let them know you're human. But that first response, that's how I told you. I'd tell you how to make every decision in life easy. With your philosophy, it cuts through the emotion. It brings your wisdom to the forefront. The top five, and do what you would advise, both Leo advice, I now pass on to you to apply in those moments to change. And I'm going to leave you with this last thought as I like to leave my podcast with something questionable. You see, a lot of people talk about change, and they call it a process. Well, I'm, I'm in the process, they say. Change is a process. Sure. I get you. In some ways. But I want you to think for a minute. 
Let's fast forward through this subjective process that you've brought up. What happens at the end of that process when you change quotation marks? What really changes? See, what you've done is gather enough experience, a.k.a. evidence, to be okay with changing your belief. That's it. And the day change happens when the process has occurred, this is really all that happens is you said, okay, I've gathered enough evidence to be willing to change my belief about this, even though I know there's no truth to begin with other than my perception. But now that I've endured the process that which someone tells me I must experience when there is no must or supposed to's in life, there is no guaranteed process. But if we believe there is, and we notice that all we're doing is gathering enough evidence then maybe we'll change our mind about the belief. And then change occurs when we say, oh, new belief, now I've changed. Then if that is true, then I ask you to question the process. Respect it, but question it. And say, wait a minute, if I can question my core beliefs, my beliefs about my experiences, my past, who I am, my core beliefs, if I'm humble enough to at least question those and know that my perception is only what I create so it fits my narrative for the length of my life so I can keep telling the same story over and over. If that's true, and if other people we know have a right to that perception of the roller coaster, and we know that, and we know we want our right of our perception of the roller coaster to be heard, if we know that that plasticity exists within the perceptions, then how dare us not be able to apply that same superpower to our life, our experiences, and damn sure our life philosophy. And whatever the process means and when the moment of change occurs. I say change can happen like that. The moment that we can be aware of the beliefs, dive into them, being willing to question them, change them, then create new ones and shape new beliefs. When we can begin to question self and be open to the idea that our superpower is a truth changer when we want it to be, that the process is only as long as we believe it to be until We've presented enough evidence to change our own beliefs. But you can change those beliefs now. You can change how you make decisions right now. You can cultivate your life philosophy. Don't toil. Make the choice. Gain the competence. Add to the experience. Build your philosophy. Your change can happen in a moment right now. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your cognitive rampage. Love you.